When voters across the United Kingdom chose to leave the European Union rather than remain, questions were raised that may go without answers for weeks, months, and even years. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. The catch-all term for what lies ahead of the Brexit referendum is uncertainty. From stock markets to real estate, party politics to food and drug regulation, unanswered questions and uncertainty about future direction will plague the sceptered isle of Britain. The book business and publishing in general are no exceptions, of course. In lieu of answers, though, we can offer analysis from Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, who joins me every Friday. And welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Well, uh, indeed, everyone, I mean everyone, is sorting out the impact of the vote uh, by the British populace to leave the European Union. And in Monday's upcoming issue, Publishers Weekly has a look at what that means for the book business. Indeed, we do. And, you know, I have to say that I, as many people surely are saying in the UK, am still kind of stunned at this turn of events. I'm the editor of Publishers Weekly's International Editions. That includes the London Show Dailies and the Frankfurt Show Dailies. And I can tell you it's a pretty sobering turn of events from everyone I've spoken to so far. And I just have to say anecdotally that when I was in London in April for the book fair, I was not even really aware that a vote or that a referendum vote had been scheduled. I mean, I, I knew that the idea of leaving the EU had been discussed, but I was so convinced of the foolishness that it had not even registered with me that David Cameron had actually set a date for the referendum. And I was out to dinner with a bunch of my, you know, international colleagues and they were all looking at me like, really? You, you don't know? Well, this is actually happening. And looking back now, wow, I will never underestimate those kinds of things again, or the, the allure of, what a, of a bad idea, I would say. Even though I may think it's a bad idea, these things can happen. And of course, that also, I think, you know, sort of coincides with a certain presidential campaign we have here in the U.S. Someone who else, I think, has some some Brexit-like tendencies uh, in the U.S. with the building of the wall and stuff. But as you and our listeners may remember, we podcasted from the London Book Fair about the potential Brexit. And publishers at the time seemed not so willing to allow themselves to go there. Right. Well, indeed, though, they're going to be taken there and taken there within the next two years. So, so what are we hearing uh, in the early days? from British publishing individuals. Yeah, well, it's an interesting discussion now, right, to say the least. And I think, first and foremost, I think it's worth pointing out that publishers in general, and I am making a generalization here, but as, you know, highly educated and very globally engaged, I think publishers are personally invested in remaining in the EU. Almost every publisher that I spoke to in London was in favor of remaining in the EU. So I think that there's first and foremost broad disappointment on that score. But as business people, they now have to sort of turn to the concrete pros and cons for their businesses. And there's a lot to consider here. So in Monday's issue, uh, my former colleague on the London Book Fair editions of Publishers Weekly, former book brunch editor Liz Thompson, has penned uh, a nice personal piece that kind of hits at what's happening in the UK over there now. And she notes, I think correctly, that over all of this right now is uncertainty. Unwinding Britain from the EU is not going to happen overnight, and it's likely not going to happen quickly. 
And what follows is, you know, it's not set in stone. You know, for those of us heading to Frankfurt in a short few months, and probably for the following year's fairs, at least, I would think maybe more, this kind of uncertainty is really going to be hanging over the publishing industry. Uh, and she also notes that publishing is a pretty broad term. You know, it doesn't really apply to everyone equally. You know, you have small publishers and large publishers and digital publishers, and all of these are going to have to pursue different strategies for how they handle the Brexit. Uh, and this this also includes, you know, booksellers from the high street booksellers to uh, the Amazons. Uh, you know, certainly we heard that concern voiced this week from Waterstone CEO James Dunn. Brexit is going to mean probably an increase in the daily cost of living. I've, you know, this is what people are telling me, and that means less disposable income, which probably means fewer book sales uh, when and if it finally happens. You know, and publisher turnover is going to further be imperiled, I think, by the potential loss of European sales. You know, after a bunch of skirmishes a few years ago, it was broadly agreed that UK publishers should be able to acquire exclusive rights for the entire EU market. But as Thompson notes, with Britain out of the EU and the single market that the EU provided, Europe, and that probably includes Ireland, will may become like Australia, she writes, which is an open market, you know, English language battleground where the chief edition wins out. Uh, and then, of course, there's the copyright issue. And our listeners know there's currently uh, some controversial proposals to revisit copyright under the EU regime. Arno Nouri, the CEO of Hachette, certainly had some strong words about that at the London Book Fair this year. But there's also been proposals in the UK. Now, does this mean that UK copyright laws are going to be rewritten and are they or not going to be harmonized or not uh, with the EU? Certainly, that's a question that's going to be have to be addressed down the line when it comes to the Brexit. On the positive side, there seems to be people are talking about currency issues uh, and that, you know, a weaker pound could drive more commerce. Uh, there's authors and publishers who might be able to make some hay while the sun shines here. But I'm certainly going to be talking much more with uh, international publishers and UK publishers in the coming weeks. But if there is a word, as you said, to capture it all, I think it is, of course, uncertainty. Uh, and for business, I think uncertainty is rarely good news. Well, if one thing is for certain, Andrew, we will hear more from you about this uh, in the coming weeks, as you say. But for the moment, back uh, back home, you're just returned uh, from Orlando and the American Library Association annual conference there. We talked about it last week, and you predicted then an outpouring of positivity from the show. So uh, how was your crystal ball? Spot on. As always, <laughs> okay, maybe not always, but yes, indeed, the library community certainly delivered good vibes to Orlando, which is a city uh, that I saw is still really kind of reeling from the tragic events of June 12th, of course, where a gunman slaughtered 49 in the nightclub uh, in an attack that targeted the LGBT community. Appropriately, diversity, inclusion, and equity were key themes that radiated throughout this ALA conference. Uh, and those issues were also very much on the minds of the speakers at ALA too. Uh, the conference kicked off with a really fiery, entertaining keynote from Michael Eric Dyson, who questioned, you know, why some are straining to see the Orlando tax almost solely as an act of Islamic terror. terror excuse me. Uh, he said, you know, we'd rather it be ISIS than us. And he cautioned against ignoring the hate crime aspect of this. You know, that, and he noted that hate burdens us here at home. And he really praised librarians for, you know, helping educate people, which he described as really kind of the only antidote 
antidote to hate and intolerance. Also, fresh off his sit-in on the floor of the House of Representatives, Congressman John Lewis was also there, and he really inspired librarians. And he urged them to, and I'll quote him here, find a way to get in the way, just as he did in his civil rights work uh, over the decades. You know, he spoke briefly of a sit-in, too. Uh, you know, people don't usually talk about politics at ALA. You know, they're a 501c3, so they have to be kind of careful about that. But he told librarians that he saw the sit-in as, you know, he had sort of a moral obligation to do something, even if it was highly irregular and out of the ordinary, to pressure Congress to at least consider acting on some reasonable gun control measures. Uh, and one of the highlights for me uh, at the conference was uh, Carnegie Medal winner Vietan Nguyen, author of The Sympathizer, who won this year's Carnegie Award and also a little award we call the Pulitzer Prize for his novel, The Sympathizer, as I just said. And you know, in his talk to librarians, Nguyen also really spoke of diversity. Basically, he said uh, that he started writing because growing up, he spent a lot of time in the library and he did not he him see himself uh, as a young Vietnamese kid in the books that he was reading on library shelves. Librarians themselves were, as you might expect, tremendous in their support of Orlando. They organized a stirring memorial to the victims, which John Lewis uh, made an unscheduled appearance at. There was a two-day blood drive. There were numerous volunteer opportunities around town that they'd set up. Uh, there were a bunch of diversity-related events, including a booth that was set up where librarians were filmed reading passages from banned LGBT books for an upcoming campaign, which we'll, we'll look for shortly. Overall, my impression is, is that you know Orlando really is still a city that's in deep shock and mourning. But the tragedy, I think, really brought out the best in librarians, and they certainly brought that best to Orlando, no question about it. Terrific upbeat news there, but there also were some downbeat notes. Uh, indeed, there was. You know, first and foremost, attendance was really disappointing. You know, it was just over 16,500, and that's down from over 22,000 last year, about a 26% drop from the ALA 2015 in San Francisco. Now, as bad as a 26% drop in attendance sounds, this was also the year that featured a biennial public library association meeting, which was in Denver in April of this year. And in those years with PLA, uh, that always hammers ALA annual attendance. Uh, in uh, Orlando in late June, of course, is never a big draw, too, uh, as opposed to San Francisco last year, which is always a huge draw. In fact, the San Francisco shows are always among the best attendant for ALA. Still, I think the dramatic drop in attendance was more than people were expecting. Uh, it was the lowest attended ALA annual conference since 1994, so 22 years. But no question, though, that the, the librarians that did attend really did bring great energy and really came with a sense of purpose. And I think there was another big disappointment in the show that sort of came at the end of the show on Tuesday. And that's when the, the ALA Council actually deferred taking up a measure from the ALA counselors that would have called for ALA to sort of push for libraries being gun-free zones. I heard from many librarians expressing deep disappointment that after all we heard over the five days in Orlando and from the leadership of John Lewis, uh, that the council would not take action on this resolution, uh, that guns should be kept out of libraries. They were really upset and disappointed about this. Now, ALA did not dismiss the resolution. They just thought that it needed to be tinkered with and, and brought up again and really sort of sharpened. Uh, nevertheless, I think this Orlando was viewed as a time for action and that and no action was taken, uh, really has a lot of librarians leaving Orlando with a bit of disappointment. 
Well, indeed, understandable, too. And, and finally, more disappointment, uh, but of a very different kind. Disappointing sales, of course, nothing like the issue of guns in libraries. But uh, we do have some numbers from the AAP, the Association of American Publishers, and their recent sales figures, which show a steep decline in book sales. What's going on? Yeah, and I'll mention that just briefly that 2016 appears to be off to a slow start as the AAP, the Association of American Publishers StatShot program, uh, revealed that sales in the adult category fell 12.9% in January compared to the first month of January uh, last year. And in the, the YA category and children's category, sales were down 20%. Paging E.L. James and John Green, <laughs> you know, clean up on aisle one, please, you know, get us another book ASAP and let's bump those numbers up. But Again, as usual, we talk about it quite often on this show. The number I want to point out is the number for ebooks that fell a stunning 22.3% January 2016 over 2015. That's a 22% drop over last year's numbers for the same period. And publishers keep saying they're not concerned and that they're keeping an eye on the situation. Well, speaking for myself personally, I think it's past the time for concern. I think it's time to do something. All right. Well, when they do something, we'll report it here on Beyond the Book. And our special guest every Friday will join us with that, Andrew Albanese. But, you know, Andrew, let's close out with a, with a note here that's kind of a look back, a throwback uh, to something you and I started uh, way back in November at the Miami Book Fair. We, we met the writer Suki Kim, who had published a book, Without You There Is No Us, the account of her teaching English in Pyongyang. And uh, she had appeared at the Miami Book Fair on a panel of memoirists, and she was not happy about it. That's right. You know, and, and I all credit to you, Chris. You really are the one that picked up on this. It, it, it had a tremendous conversation with her. But yeah, she, she went to North Korea, it risked her life doing all of this investigative work undercover, of course, and made it home alive and then had her book turned into a memoir by her publisher. She was, as I recall, quite fired up. Her book was sort of lost among all the other memoirs that really had nothing to do with the, the, the kind of deep reporting that she had done in a very dangerous situation. And I think that's a cautionary tale for publishers that, you know, yeah, you want to find ways to market your books, but you have to be true to those books as well and true to those authors. I thought it was a, a, a tremendous conversation that we had at the time. And that story is now making the rounds. I know it was in New York Magazine and a couple of other places, but quite a story, Chris. Right. Yeah. You know, she has published an essay uh, in the New Republic. We'll link to that on our webpage. And, and of course, uh, as you say, uh, we were sort of happy to help her tell that story. And there was a podcast interview with her that first appeared in January, and we'll link to that as well. But uh, she said to me at the time, a memoir comes from memories, not reporting. I came out of North Korea with 400 pages of investigative notes. There was nothing about that that was a memoir indeed. And, and she looks at it not only from the perspective of a failure of marketing, but, but really a, a failure failure of opening one's mind to the idea of different viewpoints and, and people who can occupy the role of investigative reporter being other than what uh, we might think of as Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman in All the President's Men. So, so we urge you to listen and to read uh, Suki Kim's uh, essay on that subject, The Reluctant Memoirist. And, and again, I want to thank Andrew Albany, Senior Writer for Publishers Weekly, for joining us here and Beyond the Book. And Andrew, we'll talk to you next week. 
My pleasure, as always. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center with its subsidiaries Rights Direct in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is a global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.